0: With that said, let's continue here in our series. We're actually going to conclude it this week. We were going to keep taking it for a few more weeks, but we decided, we met a few of us this week and talked through, you know, next Sunday begins the Advent season, leading all the way into Christmas. And we'd really like to work through that. And so we're going to begin that next Sunday, which means today's the last day of this Campfire Story series. There's a few more sermons that were somewhat prepared, you know, kind of in a working sense. And so I might, I might uh, put that online, a video or a short article. I don't know. We'll see. It is Thanksgiving week. I have other things I'm going to be doing than writing out like some of this. But I do want you to know there's other ways we can look at this. So throughout this series, if you recall, if you're new, this will be a quick recap for, or this will be an explanation. For everyone else, it's a recap. We've been walking through all these different ways that God has expressed who the church is, particularly in the New Testament. Today, if you ask who the church is, people would say like it's a political force or it's this humanitarian aid group or something like that. But God doesn't say that. In scripture, he gives us all sorts of different portrayals. And rather than using theological constructs to break this out, he will actually use imagery and things are are a known picture. And so as you are, uh, like as, as the disciples were talking to Jesus or as the early church leaders were talking to Paul, like, what is this again? Like, what are we supposed to be? The Holy Spirit moved. Yeah, he moved at, at Jerusalem there. And uh, he's just moving like crazy. And like, but what are we? And as they worked through that, they concluded we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We're the temple of God. We're the family of God. We're the harvest workers of God, so on and so on. And so this morning, we're gonna continue this conversation. We're gonna look at the portrayal of being the family of God. The family of God, it is, each of these I could say is like the most important. And yet I find myself yet again saying, this is crucial in your understanding of God's love to you and your response to him. When it comes to the family of God, I'll get into this in a moment, but in case I forget, I'll say it this way. We bring great uh, filters of, of um, mistruths or misunderstanding will carry in a lot of our own baggage into that conversation. And it taints what scripture says about is the family of God. And so we really have to work hard to say, what does scripture say on this? And allow God's truth to, to, to cut in our heart and then allow us to say, oh, this is, this is God's definition of this, not man's. Because we, we, we twist this, and I'll talk through why that happens in a little bit. So as we think about the family of God, first of all, you know, there's this sense where where people love right now, just as a culture, to dive into the whole like ancestry, history, research. Has anyone here done like 23andMe or ancestry stuff? Yeah, it's like real interesting. There's a few different reasons people wanna find out, you know, where'd, where'd y'all come from, that kind of stuff, or or what's just some other things in your, in your genetic line and finding out all that. So people love to look into that. But what's cool about thinking about the family of God is we're reminded that, our, that if you're born again, so if you're a follower of Christ, your spiritual lineage goes back to, say, Jesus and those disciples. You could take it even farther to, like, Adam and Eve, but let's just stop at Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus told the disciples and then and others there, but at the Great Commission, like Jesus ascends and then the disciples go out to the to the known world and start sharing the gospel. And he goes from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person, eventually to you, eventually to me. Now I can look in my own family tree, like my earthly family, and I can see how uh, how my family got here. I can track it back a little bit to see like these random connections to, I don't know. There's like a connection to, Hershey, like Mr. Hershey up in Hershey, PA. There's like connections to William the Conquer, right? There's connections of people who came from Switzerland and Germany and all sorts of other countries. And like all that stuff's really fun in a family tree, but spiritually, I'm connected to one of those disciples. Like how cool that is to think about one of those guys shared the gospel with somebody who shared it with somebody and eventually it got to my family, which got to me. When we think about the family of God, there's this deep, wonderful connection. And I wanna explain to you some of this. One of the verses that helps us understand this is Ephesians 1.5. This is simply put, and then there's two other verses that complement this. Each one describes it slightly different, and uh, they use a little bit of like complicated language as it expands. And so we'll just... I'm gonna read some of these and help you kind of to see like each side of this. So Ephesians 1.5 says, he predestined us for adoption as sons. So that adoption is the key word here. He predestined, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, when it comes to this spiritual adoption, the language is something super familiar to us. We are, we are aware of what earthly adoption looks like. Some of you have been adopted into a family. Some of you have adopted children. And that same kind of idea is what we read in scripture. What a wonderful portrayal for us. Well, there's other verses that describe this too. Galatians 4 says it this way in these four verses, starting in verse four. So Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, in the same way, that a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the bride of Christ and we all just kind of jump in on that language of being the bride, even if you're a dude, well, in this case, like all of us are jumping into this idea of sons, even though some of you, you know, are ladies. You could say sons or daughters if you really, you know, if you really need to work yourself through that. Just, but that idea there, we are brought into God's family as his son or as his daughter. Now, another verse that also ties into this is Romans 8.15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And again, Abba, Father is just this deep and personal declaration to our heavenly Father for what he has done for us. And so we are brought into the family of God. Well, what are some of the implications behind this? Well, it's fantastic. And I bet we could go around the room and each of us share different sides of this, but just a handful to help you to think through it. Because we are adopted into God's family, we are now kingdom people. So we are now part of his work, no longer part of the, the earthly f- values and focus and culture and all those different things. Like, yeah, we live in that, but that is not our identity. Our, de- our identity is God's kingdom. We are part of his people brought into his family. So that's one, that's one takeaway. One of these, another implication is that we no longer feel this sense of shame. Now, the enemy might tell us, he might shame us, but there's no longer shame in God's family. Like this has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is a wonderful thing. A lot of us, I think, this is probably one of the biggest struggles I see consistently in this town over all these years. This is now coming up on year nine that I've been in Greenish area for. You know, when we started as a campus and all, and year after year, it's consistently true. I, I thought, you know, in the first couple of years, maybe we'd, we would break this chain, and I'm thinking like, oh no, this is so deep rooted. This is going to be lifelong ministry, but the chain of people assuming that, yeah, they're forgiven, but God is just, he's just angry at them all the time. So you as a Christian, having this sense that God is just angry at you, and if you were to come to his table, like literally if there was a table, and you were going to have the family dinner, you'd sit there and you just have to have your, have your head hanging low, because like, yeah, you, you messed up again, yeah, you're worthless, yeah, it's like, you got nothing to offer, and that's the way you're thinking, even though that's not at all how God might view you. And we bring this into our walk with Christ and there is no shame before our father. There's, there's adoption and there's that language, that picture we even see this with the prodigal son where there is a bestowing of the royalty there, right? The royal robe and the ring and the sandals and all that kind of stuff. You are bestowed, you are cleaned up, you are changed. What a wonderful place you have. You, you, you sit at the table with the king and so there's no shame there but again, we think there's there's scolding the enemy tells us there is frustration with us that there is uh you know you could have done better today kid but that's not what we have at all we don't see any portrayal of this when it comes to being adopted into god's family another takeaway of being in the family of god is that every follower of christ every believer everyone who's born again and i keep saying this because you got to push back against religious christianity which just says if you do you know xyz that looks christian then you're christian it's like okay well that's how maybe a, a a survey words it but for us we're talking those who are regenerated by the holy spirit and then we have him alive and at work within us what's wonderful about this is every believer is all in the family of God. There is no discrimination there in which they're like, well, there are some people who, who look the part a little bit more or there are certain people groups who are more in the family of God than others. None of that garbage. We're all in the family of God and that is a wonderful place of, of uh, and, and Paul writes about that all the time. We actually looked at it a little bit last week as well, but it's just a wonderful place of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood in the family of God. We also see in Ephesians 1 that we receive an inheritance. You know, in your own family, you may receive an inheritance. You may not, it just depends on different family dynamics. But Ephesians 1:14 tells us that the Holy Spirit guarantees that we have the inheritance. And the language is that it, it is for those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we have this eternal inheritance, one that cannot be taken away. You know, even your earthly inheritance, it could be taken away. Some of you have shared those stories with me, something you were expecting to get. And then stuff comes, comes through and it changes. Well, eternally, we have this inheritance. And so all these different family dynamics, a lot of the similar language that we use in family conversations, conversations that we might have with our brothers or our sisters like in our earthly family or with our earthly father or mother or cousins or whatnot. There's a lot of similarities with what scripture says about this. And it's, it's really helpful for us that God uses this known imagery to help us understand who he is and who we are to him. As you think about being in the family of God, one thing I love about this is that we are closer Like in an eternal sense, I'm closer to you, uh, or you are closer to me uh, as a brother or sister in Christ than you might be to your earthly brother or sister who is not a follower of Christ. And so you might have the same, like, you know, DNA elements as your earthly brother or sister, but for us, we're bound by Jesus Christ's blood and what he's done for us. And so there is this even deeper connection and looking out for one another you know better than the brotherhood I've heard some of of you talk about like that brotherhood that you have uh, or that you experience in the military uh, or you know on a lighter note you know the the sisterhood of the you know they got traveling pants going around the world But like deeper than that is the people of God the family of God bound by Jesus Christ's blood so this is the family of God. Fantastic descriptions for us. Unfortunately, there tends to be these obstacles in our way that prevent us from experiencing that, or or I'd even say feeling that in a way that God would want us to. Uh, there's several different things. There's two that really stand out to me. Uh, one of those is that we tend to live in a very... Uh, like mechanistic or robotic world. So think of it this way, you are a consumer of all sorts of products, whether it's things you wanna buy here for the holidays or uh, you go to a restaurant, you know, you want quality, you're picking something out that you want, you personalize it, you want something that's like, something you can afford, you know, and like over and over again, we just live this way day in and day out. Some of you are like, when you woke up this morning, you bought something online. Some of you, you're gonna later today, We just consistently, we're consumers, right? Like that's our culture. We consume, consume, consume. And when we do this on a day in and day out basis, it breeds within us this mindset. We want something that is consistent. We want something that it meets our standards of whatever it is we're looking for. And that makes sense in this society. The challenge is when you enter into the family of God is so messy. It's not at all like robotic automated mechanistic systems. Some of you, again, let me just go back to the other idea of like this consistent thing uh, it, Some of you, you work in fast food. I did that one. I used to work for Burger King in high school. And like everything is down to a science because they're like, they're calculating what this is gonna cost, but every little thing just has its breakdown. And you want to have consistency with your uh, customers. Well, in this similar way, like, we, 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 we understand what that's like on the consumer side. We understand what that's like on the employee side if you work in those areas. But when it comes to the family of God, it is super messy because it's people, it's relational. There's all these variables. There's no consistency, one person to the next person, one situation to the next situation. And because of that, there's a lot of, uh, there's like a disconnect. You almost gotta switch gears. But really hard. And so, even say so you're driving up the hill here, you're parking, like oh, so much of your morning or your weekend has been consumed by this, like, receive as a consumer mindset. But then you come into here and it's like people. And everyone's different walk of life, everyone's situation is so different. Yes, we consistently all need Jesus but then our stories are different, our interactions are different. And because of that, I think it's really messy. And maybe I get a first row seat, a front row seat to that because there's a certain expectation that people have for a church family, like as if we're producing some sort of product, but that's not the way it is. It's a family. So in the same way you're coming together for like a Thanksgiving meal as a family, people are bringing different things. Somebody's showing up early, somebody's showing up late. There's plans for it. Some things change. Some things go the way you want. You know, you had a great thing with your meal, but then like the turkey got burnt and you're like, oh, we got to adjust. And like that you expect when you come together as a family. And there's a little bit, there's much of that that is actually more true here when we gather, or as we go in as just a church family day by day, then there is this consistent, automated, institutionalized, system-based way of interacting with one another. So I don't know if that all makes sense. That makes sense in my head, but I also think like that. So so we jump out of the mechanical and we jump into family-based organic dynamics among one another, and that's a big shift. A lot of us aren't comfortable with that. Another thing that we bring to the conversation of being the family of God that makes it really hard to accept God's love or love one another is we bring our own family dysfunctions into these conversations. And so the families you've grown the family you grew up in or the family you're in now. I'll, I'll, it can make things very difficult for you to understand what God says about being the family of God. So I can say, hey, we're the family of God. And for some of you are like, that's great. I love my family. For others of you are like, I can't stand my family. So why do I want to think about us being the family of God? That's really uncomfortable. And you have to dig deep into saying, what does God say? And so for instance, maybe maybe you had an absentee earthly father, and then you can Unfortunately, you can assume that God the Father is that same way. Maybe you had abusive earthly parents and then you can transfer that kind of emotional hurt onto authority figures in the church family. It could be a pastor, group leader, staff, kind of just anybody who's in some sort of similar role. You could have grown up in a family that had a lot of hurt or bullying or gossip among your earthly siblings and then you bring that into this conversation of spiritual brothers and sisters. And you're like, well, my earthly brothers and sisters, I, can't, I, can't, I don't even wanna be around them. And you can treat others in the same church that way. All that relational drama at home or with your family, it's happening on a regular basis for some of us. Some of you are actually stirring that within your family. And then we come into here and to say like, hey, we're to love each other. And it's like, that's just such a hard shift. So whether you live in consumer world and you gotta shift gears to say like, no, this is like an organic family, or you come from like a dysfunctional family world in earthly, and then you come in, you're like, no, this is a spiritual family. It's kind of a hot mess when you wanna talk about being the family of God. But if you dig deep and you really say, what does scripture say? What does it mean to be the family of God or the household of faith. I believe there's wonderful treasures there. And so let's talk through a little bit of what this looks like to be the household of faith. There's a handful of verses that teach us this. One is first John three, seventeen. So let me read for you this verse and and then and then I want you to look for the key word here as far as what does it mean to be the household of faith. So First John 3:17 says if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him So first of all when it comes to a mark of the household of faith there is love right? there, there's this overwhelming abundant love that is to be expressed among one another and I'll just say like it's kind of it's kind of love you want in your in your earthly family this sacrificial, present, over-the-top love to one another. And it may, it may not always be there in your earthly family, but as a church family, when we strive to love. A, a similar verse to this would be 1 Peter 1.22. We don't have this on the screen, but it says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, this earnest, passionate, intentional love, not just a passive, you know, if it happens, it happens. No, no, you gotta you got to fight to love one another well. So there's love. Another, another mark of a household of faith here is 1 Timothy 3.15 in it's description of truth. Listen to this, it says, if I del-, Paul wrote this. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is, listen to these descriptors of the household of God. This is fantastic. Which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. If you were my five-year-old, you'd be like, I just heard the word but, and now I don't (laughs) at all know (laughs) at all what you're talking about. I'm distracted. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. You know, the church as the family of God stands for truth. And it's the kind of truth that pierces through all the chaos and confusion of untruth. Foremost, this is that Jesus is salvation, right? The majority of the world does not believe that. And they are finding all their other ways to know God or to feel what they might call inner peace or to feel like they will be right on the other side when they stand before whatever judgment may come. There tends to be a general awareness that there is eternity and a future judgment, but people land differently in where that comes from. Well, we know because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus is truth. So there's not all these guessing games like, well, you know, there's like five good options. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he's the resurrection and the life, and he proved it when he resurrected. And so we can have confidence that he is the truth and we can have confidence in, in all these different things he said on this. So foremost, as the household of faith, we stand on that. Now, that's an exclusive statement, as in there are people who will hear that say, I just, I disagree. And it's like, well, you, you know, you have the right to disagree, but that still makes you wrong. And so this is, this is a truth that we cling to. Uh, there's other truths as far as the household of faith that we, we wanna fight for in a, uh, in a way that First Peter 3.15 says with gentleness and respect. And one of those would be that God's word is also true. How do we know who God is? Well, it's from his word. It's not a guessing game. So we have his word to read and to know. We can know God, know his heart. His word is the conduit by which we know him and we can grow in our faith. And we can believe it. A lot of people, again, the majority of people, even in Christian world, like religious Christian, right? They say Christian on their, on like a bumper sticker. But you're like, are you born again? The majority of people would say God's word is like, has helpful ideas. Or is like, you know, it's nice. It's like a book of proverbial statements. But they wouldn't say it's truth. And the household of God, as a pillar and a buttress of truth, says, no, 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 we are firmly anchored that God's word is true. If you start to deviate, then it becomes a guessing game. So we see that. Another mark of the household of faith, so household of faith we had love, we have truth. Another one is this service and sacrifice to one another. Listen to Galatians 6.10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, which, man, this is... There's a lot of opportunity for this. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are called. This is not a suggestion. This is not like, hey, you know, when you feel like it, but this is as you have opportunity, let us do good to one another, especially or particularly to those who are brothers and sisters of the faith, the ones you will stand with one day before our Savior. And then lastly is this mark of maturity or growth. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, right? So, and I'm gonna read the rest, but you've received Christ Jesus. A lot of us are like, praise the Lord. That's awesome. I am now saved, but that's not where you stay, right? You wanna mature and you wanna grow. So it says, verse seven, rooted, and then built up in him and then established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. You know, so think about the family imagery here. If you have little kids, we have three little kids. I want them to grow up and grow not only into elementary aged and then into teenagers, but then out of my house one day, right? Like we want to grow up and you want to be an adult who's responsible and you learn how God has wired you, what he has called you to do, that's a natural progression. If that stops somewhere, say at like seven years old, and they're like a 45-year-old living and acting like a seven-year-old, we'd say, well, that's a, that's a dysfunction. And in the, in the same way, in your spiritual faith, you wanna grow up, you don't wanna stay babies. Actually, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this. It says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, because you were infants in Christ, Paul said, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still in the flesh. There is jealousy and strife among you. You know, we want to be in the same way that we want in our own family for people to grow up. Well, we wanna grow up spiritually. Don't be the same person you were yesterday in your faith. This comes through, one word to use this is sanctification, becoming more and more holy, right? In the holiness of, of Christ, but also growing in your faith, being established. Other marks that I, 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 that are true, but I'm not gonna read all the verses with these. One is the mark of unity in the household of faith. We see this in Philippians 2. One is hospitality. We see this from 3 John chapter one. One is expressing grace and bearing with one another. We see this in Colossians 3, showing forgiveness to one another. That's in Colossians 3. Protecting one another from heresy. It's in 2 John having leaders that aren't lording their authority over others, that's in 1 Peter 5, being humble with one another and submissive to one another is in many verses, including 1 Peter 5 and Ephesians 5. And so we see all these different, all these different marks of what it means to be the household of faith. But the ones I really wanna exhort you with would be love, truth, service, and maturity. Friends, as we are God's people, we might find ourselves struggling to like really understand what it means to be a, a brother or sister to one another or to be a son and a daughter to our heavenly father. But as we look at these passages, it helps us to push through like family dysfunction that we've grown up in, to push through a culture that screams to us to be consumers, but then you have to shift gears among one another because we're not here to consume from each other. And so you have to push through that and in the main way is by reading scripture And the second way is by then expressing it among one another and and trying to live these things out.